My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Ashley Leppard. She is a 14-year veteran of the United States Coast Guard. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about her experience in the Coast Guard, talk about her book. How we connected was through a mutual friend, uh, retired Navy SEAL Ross Monroe, who I interviewed on this program before. Um, Ashley and, and Ross have known each other for a while now, and, and Ross, after I interviewed him, had suggested I interview Ashley. And, uh, and now, uh, I think like a couple of years later, uh, I actually get to interview her. She's been going around speaking about her experience and, and talking about her book. So I look forward to digging into her book, The Hurricane Within, right? That's the name of your book? Yeah. Yep, right. Oops, right back here. <laughs> yep, the hurricane within. Uh, I guess let's dig in. Um, where were you born and raised? And and what were some of the early influences uh, in your life that led you to join the Coast Guard? So I was born and raised in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan, uh, my whole life. And I had a middle-class family, very hardworking dad, stay-at-home mother, a very typical um, adolescence. I was a very big tomboy. I loved sports and I loved going out there and just proving myself as a girl, being able to play hockey and football and soccer with all the guys. Um, that's probably a lot of the early influential memories that I have of just wanting to better myself and push myself and do things outside of the, the normal realm, if you will. Um, I joined the Coast Guard right out of high school. I think it was about a uh, year after I graduated, and uh, there was a few uh, factors that helped me with that decision, um, but primarily I had one of my best friends pass away in a boating accident uh, right after we graduated high school, and um, that was really hard for me. I think it was the very first traumatic experience uh, that I really had, and um, so much so that I actually didn't even write about that in my first book. I'm working on my second one, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but also I just had such a love of the water. I was on the swim team for um, pretty much all of my high school years and I just loved the water. I loved the idea of serving my country and saving people who were in trouble. So um, 2005, I was off to boot camp. <laughs> nice. Where, where did you go to boot camp? So our boot camp is in Cape May, New Jersey. Uh, I was there in November. It was extremely cold. <laughs> um, so having to do all those exercises and getting beat down in the middle of the winter in your uh, shorts and t-shirt, that was, those memories will stick with me for a long time. <laughs> so after boot camp, did you just go to a boat or did you go to a specialty school? Uh, so the Coast Guard works a little bit different. If you enter in boot camp um, without specific orders to a tech school, then once you graduate boot camp, you're kind of considered what's called a non-rate, meaning that you don't have a um, specialty tech position. So you kind of get sent 
anywhere and you're kind of doing the bottom of the barrel jobs as far as um, you know, mopping, painting. I mean, basically you start at the bottom. So right after boot camp, my first unit was Sector San Juan, Puerto Rico, which was phenomenal. Um, but there was a lot of grunt work and a lot of um, very unfavorable jobs. But I did that for about a year, um, just over a year prior to me going to tech school, which is in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Nice. And, and so what did you uh, specialize in? So I was an avionics electrical technician. So um, my aircraft that I specialized in was the MH-65 Dolphins and um, anything, communications, navigations, uh, uh, any type of flight controls, any sensors, basically anything that's connected to a wire. It was my job to maintain and troubleshoot uh, for uh, keeping the aircraft up to fly. Your, your experience led you to being in a position to, to help people uh, during Hurricane Harvey, right? Yes. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's what you talk about in your book, correct? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the first half of my book is sort of just character building. I talk a little bit about myself and some things um, personal and family-wise that were uh, very big and creating who I am today. Um, and then the second half of my book really just kind of is a full-on interactive um, account of what I went through during the hurricane. So I was stationed in New Orleans in 2017, and I was on the calendar for being on call, um, which basically means um, for Coast Guard aviation, you always have to have a ready crew, which is a pilot, a co-pilot, a flight mechanic, and a rescue swimmer in case there's anything, uh, anybody drowning, a missing boater. So we're just there for first responder. Um, so I happened to be on call that day uh, just prior to Hurricane Harvey hitting. Um, I believe Hurricane Harvey hit Friday late in the evening and Saturday at uh, 0300, I got a call from my pilot to uh, go out and fly. And I can tell you, none of us were aware really of the devastation that we would encounter. Uh, we sort of thought just like any other typical hurricane, it would hit the coast, sort of dissipate, and we'd be doing a little bit of, um, you know, minor search and rescue afterwards. But Hurricane Harvey was really different because there was a pressure system just above it that kind of kept it sitting there and it just built speed and power and it sat there just dumping rain for you know i believe it was three four days and then the flooding happened and so um we uh thankfully train quite a bit for these sort of scenarios but i don't think any of us really uh prepared ourselves for what we were going to encounter during those days and and so you're you're flying on the helicopter as the the flight mechanic right Correct. Yes. So as the flight mechanic, when I'm flying, I'm in charge of um, basically keeping the pilot in a position, a good position. So you're kind of like the middleman. You have the you have the cabin sliding door open. You're lowering the rescue swimmer, the um, the, the litter, the basket, whatever uh, rescue device you're using. I'll, at the same time, you're on the radios, talking to the pilots, keeping them in position, letting them know if they need to increase their altitude or if there's a hazard they're not seeing. So your, your head's kind of constantly on a swivel. You train so much so that when you find yourself in the worst possible scenario, you can easily get yourself into that flow state where you're, you can do what you did. And absolutely. Yeah, it was really kind of a beautiful thing to watch 
different pilots and flight mechanics and swimmers from all over the Coast Guard congregate into Houston and be able to hop in with people that I've never flown before and do the job seamlessly because our training is so um, accurate. Everybody all across the board has the same requirements. So it was really beautiful to watch that. Can you talk about some of your experiences, uh, you know, working that, that operation? Sure. So, um, like I said, we all kind of were, were going out there with, um, a very undereducated idea of what to expect. We sort of thought, uh, okay, it's going to be maybe a day of some crazy rescues and then we're going to go home. And that just wasn't the case, but, um, the very first rescue that was prominent that I was a part of was there was a pregnant lady who was in an apartment complex and she had some complications uh, with her pregnancy. She was stranded due to the floodwaters, so she couldn't get to a hospital. And so it was sort of a life or death scenario. And my pilots and myself and my rescue swimmers, we decided to land in a flooded parking lot. Uh, well, it was sort of the least flooded of the area. So we found somewhat of a dry parking lot and we landed in the parking lot. We hopped into some uh, Good Samaritan's truck and we drove over. We were able to get her out, do a little bit of um, initial um, medical response as far as giving her oxygen and making sure that she was not uh, going to be in a more critical situation. And then um, we were able to get her and her husband to the hospital and, and save you know, ultimately both of their lives. And it was really cool because typically when we do these rescues, um, we never get to meet anybody that we save. I mean, it's kind of like a quick high and bye and we're off to the next rescue. But uh, shortly after Hurricane Harvey, um, the local news did a um, story on her and we were able to see her son, Wesley. And it was just really cool to see such a beautiful best case scenario from one of the darkest days I'm sure of their lives. I'm guessing, you know, that that a lot of the experiences that you had uh, during that time were not best case scenario. Yes. Um, yeah, there was a few of them. And, you know, I, I come from the fire service and, you know, I, I have an idea of the things that you encountered and, um And I'm guessing that it's those experiences that ultimately led you to Sacred Mountain Retreat. Definitely. Um, you know, it's, it's partly that and then partly some personal things I also experienced. Um, but, you know, I have to talk a little bit about your book because I ordered it and I read it and I loved it. And um, you mentioned something here and I actually uh, I cornered it because it was really important to me. But um, you talk about symptoms of PTSD and um, them falling into different categories, and, and I could relate to pretty much every single one of those, but I had a misconceived notion um, that in order to have PTSD, you had to be in a war zone dodging bullets and seeing people blow up, and so when I started having my own personal um, issues, you know, nightmares and different things, the, the PTSD was the furthest from my mind, and it wasn't until I had the courage and the vulnerability to open up to some of my peers who were out there during the hurricane. And they were like, yeah, I'm, I'm experiencing the same things. And, you know, when your life is constantly, um, you know, 
put to the test. And when you are in these very extreme situations where it could be life or death, uh, you don't realize that there are physical, mental, and emotional responses that are natural for us humans to deal with. So um, it just was really important for me to talk about that and Sacred Mountain and some other wonderful veterans retreats definitely gave me an opportunity to not only heal from that, but learn to um, help my experience, well, help share my experience is in order to help other people. And, and that's what you've been doing a lot of lately, right? You go around and you speak uh, to different groups and, and yeah. I, I feel that that is so important to just bring that awareness to, to Absolutely. People. Can you talk a little bit about the, the groups that you're involved with and, and then maybe talk a little bit about your next book? Sure. So um, I'm not particularly involved with any specific group. I get a lot of people that reach out through my website, which is ashleyleppert.com. Um, I have a lot of people inquire about different speaking events. And my biggest goal is to not only share my personal story, but um, how I have resiliency. And my resiliency is through my faith. And I'm sure Ross has told you all about his faith, too, because it's an important pillar in his life. Um, but I feel that Without my faith and without knowing God is in control of my life, I don't know that I would have been able to get through um, some of the things that I, uh, that I was able to. And uh, one thing that sticks out to me is, uh, is Romans 15, 13, and it talks about may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. And I feel like I have such a joy and such a peace throughout my life. And people oftentimes are like, man, I read your book. You went through this. You went through that. You went through, like, how do you, how do you smile every day? How do you, and honestly, it's because I know um, that God has such a big purpose for my life. And I want to be able to share that, not in like a preachy, you know, soapbox kind of way, but being authentic and just saying, Hey man, if, if you're trying things and it's not working, maybe try a prayer, maybe try going to church or something like that. So that's um, another goal in, in sharing my story is just trying to open people up with potentially um, expanding their own faith and stuff. So that's been important to me. And my next book um, is sort of going to focus on some things that I um, didn't feel I was ready to talk about in the first one and also expand upon some of the things I talked about as well as um, what happened since my medical retirement. People have asked me, what are you doing and, and how is your health and what, you know, and there's so many God moments uh, that has happened to me that it's like, oh my gosh, I've got to share this. I have to tell people about this. So uh, I'm really excited about it. Are you comfortable talking about uh, some of those experiences that you share in the book? Sure. Yeah. So um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, my buddy that passed away in that boating accident, it was very much so my first extremely traumatic event. And um, I don't know why I talk about a lot of traumatic things throughout my book, but for some reason that was just something that I wanted to keep close to my heart, but it's a very pivotal part of my story. So I open, I'm going to open up and talk about um, my buddy Nash Collins, who was killed in a boating accident. Um, also talk a lot about, um, there was a sexual assault that happened to me that uh, I was not ready to really dive into just because, I mean, that was really hard for me. But since I've been going through therapy and different things like that, I've been able to um, heal a lot from that. And I know that that's a lot of what people deal with men and women. And I want to hopefully inspire them that they don't have to be a prisoner um, in their own 
you know, hardships in life that you can look past that and heal. Um, and also <laughs> I talk a lot about the hurricane and um, how that gave me a lot of nightmares. And there were some things that happened that um, just triggered some things personally for me. And that maybe wasn't the case for a lot of my other rescue crew members. And that's okay. Everybody handles trauma differently. And then uh, lastly, I get to talk about something that's a really cool experience, which was um, I did a road trip by myself in my fifth wheel um, right after I medically retired. And um, I sort of had this moment where um, I'm sure a lot of people can relate, but I was sort of mad at God. If I'm being honest, I was mad because here I am, this Christian who is trying to, you know, bring people to faith. And then I just felt like God wasn't working in my life. I felt like here I am. I've got this medical issue that has caused my career to end. Um, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I felt like my identity was sort of taken from me. And so I sort of had it out with God on this road trip and what came from it was the most amazing experience of my life. And I ended up meeting my now husband uh, on my road trip in Montana. So it's just something that I want to share people share with people that, um, you know, in your darkest moments, when you just have that real conversation with God, he wants that, you know, he wants us to be real. And when I just felt like offloaded all of that, and just kind of had obedience and surrendered and said, God, you know what? I've been doing it my way my whole life and it really hasn't been working out for me. I really want to surrender and do things that align with your will for my life. And um, literally a couple weeks later, I met my husband and now I'm living in Florida and um, I've never been happier and it's just been truly amazing. And so, like I said, I just want to share that with, with people and give them hope and inspiration. One of the things that you said, it sounded kind of like you were alluding to military sexual trauma. Yes. Uh, my, my fiance, I, I told you earlier that she, um, you know, she's a licensed clinical social worker. She works with combat vets and victims of military sexual trauma. That's, you know, what she specializes in. And some of the things that she sh shared with me <clears throat> You know, men and women are, you know, there are men and women that experience military sexual trauma. And that is a whole other kind of trauma, the betrayal by people that are supposed to be there for you. And um, I, I can't imagine, you know, it's, well, I can imagine and I, it's not pleasant. So, you know, I, I'm happy that you're in a good place now because I, I can imagine that it was pretty, pretty dark at times. Yes. Uh, well, you know, thank you for sharing that with me, too. I, um, you know, I dealt with a incident uh, when I was young, about 19, year, 19 years old. And um, the thought that something like that could happen again, you know, I blamed myself. I thought, what am I doing? How am I? Um, you know, you go through all the motions, it's self-blame, it's, it's all of these things. But um, what I realized is that's not the case when I go through healing and I, and I learn about it, I realize more and more um, that these people are just predators and that if it wasn't you, it was going to be somebody else. And it does not matter, uh, unfortunately, what you do. It's not you. And it took me a very long time to realize that. Um, but through talking with people like your uh, fiance, that have helped me so much and just to process that and and learn how to heal from that it's truly been uh truly been amazing so i 
I just try to be vulnerable about talking about it. It's still uncomfortable to this day, but I'm hoping that within that vulnerability, uh, there's just one person out there, one listener out there that, um, you know, finds empowerment and, and feels that maybe they can overcome their internal struggles as well. My audience consists of, you know, it's a pretty diverse audience, but there's a lot of veterans, uh, a lot of law enforcement, uh, first responders, fire department, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> of course, sexual trauma isn't isolated to military or first responders, that kind of thing. Um, you know, it can happen at work, but in, in your experience, you know, is there any, any lesson learned or advice or in, you know, encouraging words that you could share with uh, people out there listening that may have been the victim of military sexual trauma or a form of sexual trauma? Uh, I, I'm aware of incidents that have happened within fire stations. Uh, you know, it, it's not very common to for me to be able to have a conversation with somebody that's open enough to, to talk about it and to share. And I would imagine that there is going to be somebody listening that, that could possibly benefit from hearing you speak. So. Yeah, I, um, I just first want to say if there is anybody listening that um, I know it's sort of a cliche statement, but like you are not alone. What I've learned through my healing and, and talking about it is when you um, open up that level of vulnerability, people open up back to you. And um, I think that's one thing as a community, regardless of what that community looks like, whether it's military, first responder, whether you're working at a dentist's office, I don't care where it is, but like there has to be that level of um, comfortability talking about it. Because here's the underlying thing, everybody deals with trauma. I'm sorry, if you're a human being, you've dealt with some sort of trauma and that may be divorce, that may be loss of a child. I mean, I don't care what it looks like, but there is trauma for everybody. And so why we all feel as human beings that we have to keep it inside and just deal with it on our own, like it sort of baffles me because if every single person that you know were to be in a room and you just pass the mic around, everybody would have some sort of trauma to share about. So my biggest takeaway is get to know people and have deep conversations. I'm not saying you have to be best friends with everybody at work, but you know, be intentional when you ask somebody, hey man, how's your day going? That person might really actually wanna have something on their heart to offload to you. And if you're showing that you're vulnerable enough to be, have open arms to listen to them, that could be a game changer. They could have been thinking about killing themselves the next day and just you being a kind human being and taking five or 10 minutes out to be like, hey man, what's up? Or hey, I've been noticing that you're you know, quiet lately or, or whatever the case may be. I mean, you know these people in and out at work and you know when something's not right. And I feel like if uh, I'm not putting blame on any of my coworkers or any of my friends um, because I did a really good job at masking um, my happiness or my sadness rather with happiness. Um, but if somebody would have taken me aside and said, hey, you know, what's really going on in your life? How are you doing? How are you healing? Like, is there anything you want to talk about? I just might have opened up. And so I guess my biggest takeaway is, is be intentional when you really ask somebody how they're doing. And also, um, if everybody was able to just be vulnerable and talk about their traumas, what a world of healing we would be able to provide and facilitate for one another, right? I mean, that's huge. 
What do you feel helped you heal the most? You know, you talk about your relationship with God and, and your cross country drive, your uh, road trip. Um, was there like a defining moment? Was there just, was there something that, you know, is, is recognizable to you as like that, that moment when you were able to unburden yourself? Yes, I will have to say first and foremost, uh, giving my life to Jesus Christ and following that. I mean, he really, really loves his people. We are his creation and he wants to be a very intimate part of our lives. And he just wants us to surrender and stop doing it our way. And honestly, there has been no greater peace pressed upon my heart than when I just said, all right, I'm going to give it to you. And he has guided me. He has supplied me when he says that, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink. I mean, literally, I don't worry about anything because I know that I have the creator of the universe on my side that loves and cares about me. I mean, there's nothing that gives me more peace than that. I will say along with that, um, as you can probably agree, as first responders, if you know somebody is in trouble, you will jump to help them. That's what we're trained to do. We love people. We want to serve people. Um, but if someone says, hey, I need you to help yourself, you'd probably be like, oh, I'm good. I'm good to go. I mean, that's what that's how I feel. Right. So I find the most healing, actually, when I go speak to people and I get to share my story. And then I have all these people come up to me and say, wow, you know, I dealt with something similar or wow, I didn't even know I was dealing with PTSD until you mentioned it and all these beautiful things. And it inadvertently helps me heal knowing that other people are being lifted of their burdens because of my vulnerability and sharing it. And it's just a beautiful um, circle of healing and and, and nobody is exempt from trauma. Like I said, I mean, I had a, a captain um, from a Coast Guard unit that I spoke to reach out and say, wow, thank you for sharing. You know, I was abused by a family member uh, sexually when I was younger. And, and thank you for being brave to share what you went through. And it was just like, wow, you know, like all these people, just the more and more you share, the more they want to share. And, and it's a double, double win because everybody heals or starts the healing process at least. Yeah, one of the things that I've I've talked about on this show, and I, I've talked about um, <clears throat> in in different interviews, uh, in talks that I've given, uh, and it's something that I'm I'm sure you're familiar with is the the ACE study. Um, I I have a graphic on my website that if you know, people out there go to my website, there's a resources page and uh, it's, it's like mental health resources for veterans and first responders. And on there, I, I put together a little graphic that uh, talks about the ACE study, uh, adverse childhood experiences. And so many times, you know, I mean, I have a pretty high ACE score. Um, there, there's, uh, you know, from zero to 10, uh, your score could be anywhere in between, but you know, your, the things that are measured is, you know, um, emotional abuse or, you know, have you ever experienced emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional neglect, physical neglect, 
Did you witness your your mother being battered? Um, you know, did your parents separate or divorce? Was there mental illness in the household? Was there substance abuse in the household? Did a member of your household um, get arrested or, or incarcerated? So these things, when you look at it, there are, um, I want to say it's above 90% of people that have experienced some form of adverse childhood experience. And, you know, I've heard people talk about it as like, you know, you go through life with this backpack and each trauma you experience is a rock. Some rocks are bigger than others, but you're filling up that backpack. And if you don't ever deal with it, eventually that, that backpack is going to split open and you're going to be left, you know, picking up these pieces and trying to deal with all these traumas all at once. Um, and, and what's interesting is that we look at the people in our lives and the, the people around us as if they have no way of understanding the things that we've gone through. And the reality is, is that they most likely do. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's just, like I said, being able to talk about it and being like, oh, wow, you know, our traumas may not look the same, but what we deal with is, is pretty similar. What, when I talk about anger, I mean, anger isn't a natural emotion, but it stems from shame, guilt, all those things that are unresolved. And uh, it's like when you go weed your garden, you don't just cut off the top of the weed. No, you have to pull the root because if you don't, that weed's going to come right back. So that's what I try to tell people is, listen, unless you get to the root cause of why you're feeling the way you're feeling and be able to talk about it, it's always going to rear its ugly head. And, um, you know, that's why it's just really important. I, I did a study on um, trauma and PTSD and if people give are given an opportunity within the first few days of their trauma just to simply talk about it, their chances of, of adapting or um, getting PTSD go down to half. So like, that's amazing to me to think like, if I know somebody in my life who just went through a divorce or lost their child, or I mean, whatever the case may be. And if I just, Hey, let's talk about it. Let me give you an opportunity to talk. I could have just helped them from potentially developing chronic PTSD. So um, yeah, knowledge is power, man. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing just to talk with one another and, you know, heal together as one. For those out there listening that, um, would like to connect with you, maybe have you come speak to their organization, or maybe they just want to get a copy of your book. What's the best way to connect with you or best way to grab a copy of your book? Awesome. Thanks for asking. Um, so on my website, ashleyleppert.com, it's A-S-H-L-E-E Leppert, L-E-P-P-E-R-T.com. There's a spot there for uh, purchasing an autographed book, either hardcover or paperback. And then also there's a contact me section. So you can reach out, inquire, or even if you just want to talk, if you want to um, inquire about a speaking engagement, whatever the case may be, that goes directly to my email. Um, and if you're a fan of Amazon, I have books on Amazon. So if you search The Hurricane Within, there's the Audible, hardcover, ebook, and I also have a, a paperback on there as well. So that's uh, how you can reach out. Also, I have a Facebook page, uh, The Hurricane Within. So that's where I post a lot of my speaking engagements and also uh, post just different uh, happenings. 
So I will have a link to your website in the show notes. And uh, I encourage people to, to follow you and definitely get your book. And if you are in need of a speaker that can inspire and, you know, uh, inform people, uh, reach out to Ashley. Uh, yeah, you can, like, I've seen some of the things that, uh, some of the events on your social media. So yeah, I, I love listening to you speak. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's inspiring. So thank you. Thank, thank you for you. what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you. I, I, like I said, I read your book. I was excited to get a copy. And um, as I was going through, there was a lot of um, actually really amazing things that helped, helped me um, to better fine tune my message and to, um, you know, just feel like you said, feel your future. I love that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, thanks. Thank you for, thank you for reading the book and um, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Again, I appreciate you having me on your platform. I hope it, hey, you know what? If our conversation helps one person, then it's all worth it. And, and one thing that, so a couple of things that you, you've said. Um, well, first, let me ask this question. I meant to ask it earlier. Can you talk about the title of your book, The Hurricane Within? Where does that come from? Uh, obviously, you're kind of playing on words. You know, you, you experienced some... Uh, traumatic events when you were serving in, you know, Hurricane Harvey days and, uh, but the turmoil within is, I'm guessing what you're describing there. Yeah, so I um, actually, uh, the title of my book was the hardest thing to come up with, um, but I, I just prayed about it, first of all, and then I thought, um, wow, you know, going into a hurricane and while you're having a hurricane within, and that basically just kind of deducing it down to it, I was dealing with a lot of stuff that I had never unpacked. Like you mentioned, I had a backpack full of boulders that were weighing me down and it was affecting me physically. It was affecting me emotionally, spiritually. Every pillar of my life was being affected. So the hurricane was sort of just the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. And I had reached my max limit of traumatic events that I didn't really deal with. And so um, coming up with the title, I wanted people to hear about my hurricane rescues, feel like they were flying within the hurricane with me, and also unpack some of the things that made um, you know, me feel like there was a hurricane within in myself, uh, emotionally, spiritually, all that. So um, it reads like a journal. It's kind of a really quick uh, page turner. But again, I'm really excited to work on the second book and uh, share a lot more than I did in the first one. Do you have a title for that one? I don't, not, not yet. I'm sure that'll be the last thing that comes up like this one. But. All right. Well, when, when you get that one done, uh, you got to come back on and share with us. Okay. Sounds good. I would love that. All right, cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.